And uh, indeed, we are beginning this morning a series from the letter to the Philippians, which is going to last from now until the 21st of June. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful letter. Uh, it has the word rejoice in every chapter. And that joyfulness in the book is even more remarkable because of the letter's circumstances. Paul wrote the letter from prison, almost certainly in Rome. So there he was in enforced confinement, to which I'm sure many of us can relate. And another key figure in the letter, a man called Epaphroditus, who'd travelled from Philippi to supply Paul with provisions. Uh, we learn in the letter that he'd become so ill in the process that he nearly died. So a letter whose circumstances include imprisonment and illness that takes you close to death. And in those circumstances, Paul writes, rejoice in every chapter of the letter, rejoice. And he writes in chapter four, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. So it's a wonderful letter. And we're going to work through the book on Sundays, uh, but we're also going to prepare some study resources for our communities that meet in the week, also to engage with Philippians. Now, normally those communities follow their own plans uh, as they meet, whether it's weekly or fortnightly. Uh, but there are two reasons why we're going to provide something more uh sort of from the centre, if you like, for those communities to make use of. Two reasons why we're providing that in this season. But one reason is that these live streamed Sundays provide less opportunity for us to respond to the Bible message than we normally get when we gather all together physically on a Sunday. Uh, often when we gather on a Sunday, there'll be time for prayer, to receive prayer, to pray for others, and time together to consider our personal responses to the message. That's not happening in the same way with a live stream. So we want to ensure that there is time in our lives together to respond to the Bible's message. That's one reason for encouraging the study of Philippians in our communities. And the other is that whilst we can't meet together physically, uh, this is another way that we can maintain our unity as a local church doing the same things together uh, through the week. Now, we've only recently made this choice about Philippians. And so some of our communities have plans already for things to do. Um, it's not an edict that everyone needs to do it, but the resources will be there for everyone to use and they will be shared quite soon. Now, speaking of resources, uh, we're, right now we're going to make use of a brilliant resource that exists called The Bible Project. Uh, they produce videos that explain the different books of the Bible. And we're right now going to watch their nine minute introduction. It's a nine minute video which outlines the, the whole book. So uh, here it comes. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony, and so there Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. 
Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad, because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. Paul then turns to the Philippians and he urges them to participate in Jesus' example by taking up this same mindset. He says, your life as citizens should be consistent with the good news about the Messiah. So these Christians in Philippi, they were living in a hotbed of Roman patriotism, but their way of life was to be shaped by another king, Jesus. And that might bring persecution, but they are not to be afraid because suffering for being associated with Jesus, it's a way of living out the story of Jesus himself. Which leads Paul into the great poem of chapter 2. It's rich with echoes of Old Testament texts, specifically the story of Adam and his rebellion in Genesis 1-3, through and the poems about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. This poem is worth committing to memory. It is a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. So before becoming human, the Messiah pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. And unlike Adam, who tried to seize equality with God, the Messiah chose not to exploit his equal status for his self-advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status. He became a human. He became a servant to all. And even more than that, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He was obedient to the Father by going to his death on a Roman execution rack. 
But through God's power and grace, the Messiah's shameful death has been reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the King of all, bestowing upon him the name that is above all names, so that all creation should recognize that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that last statement is astounding. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 45. It's a passage where all creation comes to recognize the God of Israel as Lord. Paul's point here is very clear. In the crucified and risen Jesus, we discover that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And so for Paul, this poem, it expresses his convictions about who Jesus is, and it does more. It offers the example of Jesus as a way of life that his followers are to imitate. And so that's why Paul immediately goes on to tell two stories, first about Timothy, then about Epaphroditus, because they are both examples of people living out Jesus' story. So Timothy's like Jesus because he's constantly concerned for the well-being of other people more than his own. And Epaphroditus, who the Philippians sent with their gift, he ended up risking his life to serve Paul in prison. He got so sick he almost died trying to help Paul. But God had mercy on him and Paul by sparing him the loss of a friend. Paul's point here is that these are the kinds of people who are living, breathing examples of the story of Jesus, and they are worthy of imitation. Paul then turns to his own story as an example. So those Christians who had been demanding circumcision of non-Jewish Christians, remember his letter to the Galatians, these people are still stirring up trouble for Paul, and they keep reminding him of his own past. When he used to persecute Jesus' followers, when he tried to show his right standing before God by his zealous obedience to the laws of the Torah. But like Jesus, Paul has given up all of that status and privilege. He now regards all of it as filth. And the word he uses is actually much less polite. He's given it all up to become a servant, like Jesus, to participate in his suffering and sacrificial love. And he does all of it in the hope that Jesus's love will carry him through death and out the other side into resurrection. So Paul says that for followers of Jesus, their true citizenship is in heaven, which for Paul does not mean that we should all hope to get away from earth and go to heaven one day. Rather, heaven is the transcendent place where Jesus reigns as king. And he says we're eagerly awaiting our royal savior to come from there and return here to bring his kingdom of healing justice and transforming love to bring about a new creation. Paul then challenges the Philippians to keep living out the Jesus story. He first addresses two prominent women leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul, and they're in some kind of conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to follow Jesus' example of humility, to reconcile and become unified. Paul then urges the Philippians not to give in to fear, but despite their persecution, to vent all of their emotion and their needs to God, who will give them peace. And that peace, Paul says, it comes by focusing your thoughts on what is good and true and lovely. There's always something that you could complain about, but a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift and can choose to see beauty and grace in any life circumstance. Which leads Paul to his conclusion. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, its simple dependence on the one who strengthens him.
Paul has come to see his own suffering as a participation in the story of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians gives us a unique window into Paul's own heart and mind. He saw his entire life as a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And you can sense in this letter his close connection to Jesus, his awareness that Jesus' love and presence is closer than his own skin. And that's what gave him hope and humility in his darkest hours. And so Paul shows us that knowing Jesus is always a deeply personal, transforming encounter. That's the kind of Jesus that Paul invites others to follow. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. Wow, what a great resource. And as you can see, what a rich book that Philippians is. Though it's only for really quite short chapters. And as well as looking at that overview, I'd encourage you to read through the whole book. And then we're going to take nine weeks to look at it, as I said, in in different sections. What I'd like to do this morning is to highlight three themes that come up throughout the book. And I've tried to make these memorable so that we can hold them in mind as we look at each section in turn. So here is an A, B, C of the book of Philippians. A is for abiding, for abiding in Christ. Paul writes in chapter four that he's learned to be content in all circumstances. And he makes it clear that that is because of his relationship with Jesus. He says in chapter four, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says in chapter three, I consider everything a loss, rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for the sake of whom I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, found in him. That's abiding in him, as Jesus himself described it in John chapter 15. It's a way of talking about constant friendship with Jesus. And and Paul's desire is clearly deep and passionate for this constant friendship with Jesus. In fact, Paul says in chapter one, he's so keen to be with Jesus that, that even if he's executed, that would be a gain because he is so he so loves being with Christ as this intensity of desire for Jesus. So A is for abiding with Jesus. In the week before Easter, we had great week of prayer, as uh, the O'Connells told us, 99 hours of prayer filled up loads of people engaging with that. But on this point of A is for abiding, the question I want to put out to you is how are you going to cultivate your friendship with Jesus in the coming weeks? How are you going to cultivate your friendship with Jesus in the coming weeks so that that love which Paul had can be in us and grow in us, nurtured in this season of looking at the letter to the Philippians? A is for abiding. B is for blessing, for blessing others. And this comes through again and again in the letter to the Philippians. In chapter one, 
Paul explains that his confinement in prison has led to others being blessed. It says the whole Praetorian Guard have been blessed by hearing about Jesus. That's the elite troops of the Roman Empire in the palace. Uh, and the church has been blessed by his confinement because they've actually become more confident in speaking what they know of Jesus uh, through it. It's in chapter one. In chapter two, as we saw in the video there, Paul writes about Christians, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who bless others by serving with a love that is like Jesus' own selfless love. In chapter four, Paul thanks the Philippians for blessing him with provision. So there's these different kinds of blessing other people, blessing other people by what we say, speaking about Jesus and giving hope, uh, blessing people by serving in practical ways and blessing people through financial giving. We see all of that. And I have to say, it's been wonderful to see how people have been blessing each other at this time in our lives. Uh, I don't know whether you picked up the story this week that uh, the residents of our Edge housing project have been blessed with various kinds of food being cooked for them. Um, I understand that the chefs at Le Manoir aux Quatre Saisons, uh, that best of all restaurants in Oxfordshire, um, which is currently closed, asked what they could do to help and have ended up cooking two meals a week for the Edge residents. So wonderful blessing of other. But even better than that, I saw that Sam and Ree, Massey, had cooked for them this week. So it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, well done, Sam and Ree. Uh, there's also uh, at Tyndale Community School food boxes being prepared for those who are experiencing food poverty at the moment. If you go to the Tyndale Community School website and click on the food boxes link, you'll see a video of boxes being prepared. And it's delightful that we're doing that in partnership with uh, the Hope Vineyard Church uh, in Oxford. And they've produced the video and it's through them that finances are being channeled to see those food boxes provided, costing a thousand pounds a week. And if you have some capacity to give to that, that would be a really excellent way of being like the church in Philippi, of using what we have to bless others financially. Uh, but aside from those projects, there's also been many smaller acts of kindness that have uh, been going on all around, whether it's buying bread for neighbours or praying with neighbours. Um, I know uh, Bev, my wife, was up on the phone at 10 o'clock last night talking for as long as she could muster with one of our worried elderly neighbours and telling her that she can trust in Jesus and get the same blessing from that that we enjoy. Um, and that kind of story is repeated again and again and again, right across the church, right across the city. The letter to the Philippians reminds us of just how wonderful it is to be able to bless other people. B is for blessing other people. And uh, we have various focus teams in the church that bring leadership to different parts of our church life. And the missional focus team is working on a list of top tips, if you like, bits of best practice that people have been learning uh, about how to bless others during this current crisis. And that too will be shared soon, thanks to the missional focus team for working on that for us and helping us to know what to do. So A is for abiding. B is for blessing and C 
is for citizenship. Uh, Philippi, as it said in the video, had a lot of Roman soldiers or former Roman soldiers living there. And it had been made, in fact, a Roman colony, uh, meaning that most of the people who lived in Philippi were Roman citizens. And Philippi was an outpost of Roman life and culture, people living the life of the city of Rome in another land. In chapter one and verse 27, there's a verb there that's translated in different ways in different English translation, but literally means live like citizens. Paul says to the church in Philippi, live like citizens. But he's not talking about living like Roman citizens. And that becomes clear in chapter three and verse 20, where Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. So Philippi was an outpost of Roman life and culture, living the life of Rome in another land. The church is an outpost of heaven's culture, living the life of heaven here on earth. So C is for citizenship, but actually C is also for chutney, because I was reminded of a story from uh, the BBC published in 2010 is a story about Indian peacekeeping troops in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the BBC reporter had spoken to an Indian army officer who was genuinely upset by the senseless waste of what he'd seen. He was Punjabi, a military man from a military family, and he'd served in conflicts from Kashmir to the Chinese border. And he is now a UN peacekeeper in Congo. But even with this extensive experience of human behavior, the reporter reported, uh, he'd seen something here in Congo that defied all understanding. The Indian army officer said to him, it's the mangoes. He said, they grow everywhere. They're good ones too. And do you know what? And the officer sighed deeply, almost able to unable to articulate his outrage against all reason. He said, the local people here, they don't even know how to make mango chutney. Another Indian army officer said to the reporter, uh, we want to set up social projects to develop the area. The Indian troops, they were building a new village hall and they had plans for a school to teach car maintenance and they were teaching the villagers how to make mango chutney so that the fruit would last longer and so that they'd have a product to sell. These Indian soldiers created a corner of an African field that was forever India. I find that a helpful picture, a picture for us of bringing something truly good. Uh, citizens of India see mangoes and they make chutney. We Christians are citizens of heaven who have a knowledge of God's ways and it's our privilege to bring heaven to earth. Uh, Indians see mangoes and make chutney. Christians see wealth and inspire charity. We meet grief 
and we bring comfort. We hear questions and we speak truth. We see carers and we celebrate their love. We encounter aimlessness and we call people to worship God. We identify impossibilities and we proclaim God's power. We touch sorrow and we create beauty. We sense anxiety and we model trust. We are citizens of heaven and it's our privilege to bring heaven's ways to earth. So that's the letter to the Philippians. Joy, rejoicing during confinement and illness. And three things to keep in mind. An A, B, C. A is for abiding in Christ. How can you develop your friendship with Jesus at this time? B is for blessing others. And C is for the citizens chutney. Three things to keep in mind as we look through the book in the next couple of months. And I'd like to finish this morning my part by praying over you Paul's prayer for the Philippians, which we find in chapter one and from verse nine. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.